This episode of The Hungry Gardener is brought to you by The Pearl Film Company, producing high-quality creative content across all storytelling forms, including traditional TV commercials, films, television, documentaries, podcasts, and brand-integrated content. Go to thepearlfilmco.com. This episode of The Hungry Gardener podcast is brought to you by yourgrocer.com.au. Simply order online and enjoy same-day delivery right to your kitchen bench. You can choose from some of Melbourne's best independent butchers, bakers, grocers and coffee roasters and receive it all in one delivery. So skip the traffic, parking and queues and go to yourgrocer.com.au. Enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive two weeks free delivery and $20 off your first order. That's yourgrocer.com.au and remember to enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive your discount today. Hello listeners and welcome to the Hungry Gardener podcast, where I talk to passionate and inspiring guests about my two favourite topics, food and gardening. On this episode, we interview Matt Donovan, the co-founder and director of an organisation called Food for Change. Now it's a non-for-profit organisation with its mission to alleviate food insecurity here in Australia. Now according to stats on their website, one in 10 Australians seek food relief annually and over a quarter of these are actually turned away. Food for Change grows fresh food themselves out on a farm in Clayton South where I went to go and visit to interview Matt. But not only do they do that, they also help rescue small scale food currently not catered for and supports established local relief agencies to deliver more food to those that are in need. It's an organisation doing great things for a great cause and hopefully you enjoy the conversation that I have with Matt. Today we're out in South Clayton and we're speaking to Matt Donovan from Food for Change. G'day Matt. Yeah, morning, how are you? I'm good mate. So it's not what I would typically think of as a rural area, but we're not far from the city. What was it before you were growing food here? Uh, Previously it used to, as far as I know, be all glass houses. Um, So there's quite a few acres here that um, they were growing flowers, cut flowers to sell the market. Um, but over the years, obviously, their business model changed a little bit and they pulled down some of the glass houses and they've had a fair amount of space here. And we've yeah, just been growing a bit of food down the land. Okay, so Food for Change, can you explain what the organisation is and how it started? Yeah, definitely. So um, in a nutshell, uh, we grow and rescue food to support eight organisations who are feeding um, the thousands and thousands of Australians each week that go without food locally um, and across the country. Um, The statistics are quite terrible, actually. It's up to about 70,000 people per month that are getting turned away when they're going out seeking food relief. Um, And our whole aim is to try and plug that gap a little bit, especially locally and that sort of stuff. So since inception, we've grown and rescued just over 75,000 meals in the last two years for local aid organisations across Melbourne. So a couple of things you mentioned there. One's grow and the second's rescue. So there's obviously then I'm gathering two parts to the business or the organisation as such. So what started first, the rescue or the growing? Yeah, definitely. So first of all, we're a complete um, charity, uh, not-for-profit organisation, obviously run very much like a business. So we have three separate arms, so it's the grow side, the rescue side, and then the support phase that we provide to eight organisations. So the grow was the initial concept. Um, I was out volunteering, um, saw the need for fresh food especially, as well as the extra food to be supplied. 
and was just having a chat to the farmer Les here one day and just sort of said, look, you've got some spare land, do you mind if we use it and grow some food and donate it out locally? Um, and that's how it started in conjunction with the Kingston City Church, um, so providing food to them on a weekly basis. Uh, they feed up to 500 families a week now with a lot of our food, which is pretty phenomenal. And then we partner also with Second Bite, um, who take large quantities, Roeville Community Kitchen, uh, Sacred Heart Mission have taken our food, and a few other smaller organisations as well to get that food out. So that's the growing side. We also then, on the grow side, have set up a community garden in Hampton, um, so that food that's grown right on their land goes straight into their gar um, into their kitchen and they feed people with that as well. Um, what does the rescue side of the business look like? Yeah, a bit interesting. So as we were growing, we were going out to farmers markets, just chatting to people, sort of getting our word out there. One of the big things that came up was that they had excess food, um, so this is local business owners, but they were actually unable to donate it and couldn't find organisations to donate it to. The bigger ones like Food Bank and Oz Harvest, Second Bite, they do an amazing job. But because of the way they're set up, it makes no sense for them to drive all the way out to where we are, pick up eight loaves of bread and drive all the way back over to there. So it just doesn't make any business sense. So during that process, we developed a food rescue app, which has been in trial in Sydney, um, to basically match local organisations who've got excess food in a small quantity with eight organisations that need that particular food. Um, so that's been in trial for the last six months and will be getting rolled out nationally in July, which is pretty exciting. When did the organisation actually start? Um, officially in, I think, September 2016. Um, took a few months from there to get it off the ground. Uh, we did our first planting on the 25th of February 2017, um, so just over two years now. And is it your idea? Did you come up with it or is there a team of you involved? Uh, originally all my idea, so I just was just walking around and like, this is a bit silly. Um, there's enough land, there's enough volunteers, I'm sure we can grow a bit of extra food. So I called a couple of mates up and just said, look, thinking of starting a charity, do you want to be on the board? I need three people and they came on board. So we all founded the organisation ourselves and then have just been working on the model together and growing that from there. Okay, and what, your background, is it been in growing food or, you know, do you have a food background? Uh, not really, a bit sort of all over the place. I've worked on large-scale farms, um, picking strawberries, doing all sorts of random things. I've had mates that have had wheat farms and cattle farms. We had a small 400-acre farm at one point as well. But I've always just grown my own food in small quantities for myself and that sort of thing. So the style out here is more like a market garden kind of level. So it's a couple of acres under plant um, and it was completely new. So a lot of learnings as we're going through. Um, it's just completely different to that large scale or at home. It's that middle ground, which I knew absolutely nothing about, but it seems to be working. So what, have, what has been some of your biggest challenges since starting? The biggest one besides funding um, has been organising the timing of the food. Um, we don't have a cool room out here, so we've got to make sure that when we harvest that those collections take place pretty much an hour or two after we harvest. Uh, uniquely, it's come off pretty well, and most of the food we harvest in the morning is on people's tables that night. So how does it operate? Is it labour-intensive, obviously? How do you go about getting labour to, to come in and process some of that food? Yes, yeah, so we do a couple of different things. So all run by volunteers out here. We come out one day a week um, and we have 
two different types of groups of people, I guess. So the first one is we work with a lot of um, local schools um, and Outlook Victoria, which have kids of various ability levels. And they come out and actually, if they're interested in horticulture, they can be out here for a year working for kind of like a job placement in a sense. So we can sign off at the end of the year saying, yes, they can do this, this and this. They're really, really good workers and give them that sort of leg up that a lot of kids um, in their position don't have, unfortunately. The other side of it is we get corporate groups in. So every week or two, we have a big corporate group come down um, and do a lot of the volunteer labour for us. So moving forward, where do you see Food for Change actually going? Um, and what's the big picture? Uh, big picture is obviously in about July, we're going to um, push forward with the rescue program. Um, we're actually partnered up with IGA. Um, we've just signed a three-year deal um, to roll out that across the country, uh, which is very exciting. And once that's done, focus back on the growing side. Uh, we're looking at a site at the moment up in Caboolture in Queensland to expand um, and just slowly rolling that out. Um, in terms of the rest of the industry as well, what are some of the pitfalls that you see in other organisations um, and how Food for Change is actually different and offers a different um, service? The, I guess the main point of difference is um, we use existing infrastructure in everything we do, so we don't own anything. Um, there's a lot of aid organisations have already got all the vehicles, so what's the point in us having a vehicle? It makes no sense. If we can just give them the food or organise that food to be collected, they can take care of the rest. So that's the biggest thing. It keeps our model very cost effective and very low. And the other main thing is we're very much about local community. So all the food we grow and we rescue, we want to keep inside that local community. Um, there's no point transporting it off to a warehouse and then transporting effectively sometimes back straight to that same community. So they're the two key differences, I guess. Um, at the moment, a lot of that, of a lot of the organisation is driven by you. So what, what drives you? And where do you get motivation? And um, how do you drive the, the organisation? Um, yeah, very good question. Uh, there's a few facets <laughs> to that side of things. I guess when I was originally um, in Melbourne, I was in a fortunate and unfortunate position at the same time. I was just going through a divorce um, and had just sold a business and found myself with a lot of time on my hands. So when I didn't have my son with me, I had a, this spare time and it's just like, what am I gonna do with it? So as I was volunteering in the food relief sector, I just saw the statistics and the one that really got me was that one third of all people looking for food are children. And at that point, my kid is an animal. He was eating eight bananas a day, just growing at a rapid rate. And I just couldn't understand what it must be like for a parent to have their kid come up to them and just say, mum, dad, I'm hungry and there's no food there. And on top of that, they then go off to these organisations they hear about and that organisation goes, sorry, we don't have food either. And it must be absolutely horrific. I couldn't even imagine it. So that's what really drives me. Um, I've been in and around the food industry in small various ways all through my life. Um, I've had a family member who's been homeless, so I understand how people can get themselves into situations as well um, and the shame that revolves around that. So all those sort of things kind of added up to where we are today. In terms of running the organisation, at what point do you go, it's successful? Like, what is, what is your measure of success for the organisation? Yeah, that's, um, it always changes. So I think the, the first thing was like, wow, actually we just sent out 
a pallet of food one day. I think it was equivalent of about a thousand meals on the back of a second bite truck. And I was like, yeah, we're successful. We're feeding people. Um, we're changing lives. And we're hearing stories that are slowly feeding back. I think one of them, which came from the Kingston City Church, was a kid that had, hadn't had fresh food for so long and ate a mandarin whole. Didn't bother peeling it, just ripped it straight out of the box and ate it. And the mum's just in tears and so appreciative of that fresh food as opposed to two-minute noodles that they'd been living off for months and months and months. So to me, that success that's changed one person's life for the better. Um, obviously, we want to feed as many people as we can. Um, it'd be awesome to be in a position in Australia where we didn't have insecure people around food, where they could turn up and there'd always be food if they needed it and that sort of thing. So that's the ultimate goal for everyone in the industry, I guess. That's probably a few years away. You mentioned one of the challenges being funding. How do you go about getting funding and what would you like to ask potentially even the audience you know because they know people to help grow the organization yeah thank you um it's obviously been funded by grants so we had the bendigo bank um, give us our initial seed money uh, organizations like sun super uh, suncorp as well westpac have all given us small amounts of money and grant money along the way um, we also funded partly with donations as well. So there's always an opportunity to donate on our website to help us. Effectively, for $2 raised, we can grow 10 meals on the farm. So it's quite a good return on that donation. Uh, we're completely run by volunteers. So there's no paid staff at the moment either. So all that money goes directly out to feeding people. And if anyone does have any contacts, as we're growing and expanding, we're always looking for corporate sponsorship is probably the main focus is now to underpin the organisation. Because as we grow, we're going to have to put staff on. We're going to have to underpin the organisation a little bit more. So that corporate sponsorship level is our main focus. And volunteers? if someone wanted to volunteer? And then how do you also manage volunteers? Yeah, yeah so uh, volunteers, anyone can come down to our farm on a Wednesday. We're here roughly from about 8.30 to one o'clock. Um, they just need to sign up on our website, just go to our volunteer section and they can do that. Um, if they want to help as far as any office work or paperwork or things like that, then please register as well. There's always little bits and pieces we can um, do with helping. It's a pretty simple process. Um, one of the things we're founded on is flexibility. Um, so you can come down for one hour once and I'm okay with that. We're not, it's not a problem at all. You can bring your kids down during the school holidays, just keep an eye on them. Um, so it's very, very flexible. There's no long-term time commitment and things like that. In terms of growing, um, what is it you're actually growing at the moment and how do you go about growing this food? Yeah, a lot of people ask. Um, we just put seeds in the ground. That, that's it. It's fundamentally that simple. Um, I'm not a horticulture specialist. So I have no background in that. Um, and literally, we just run a, a seeder over the ground and put the seeds in the ground. If it doesn't grow, if it doesn't work, we just don't plant that particular species again. Um, we have a little test patch where we test a few random things occasionally. Um, one of them was corn this year, which went really, really well. So we'll put in quite a bit next year. Um, so we break our growing into two sections. So we have a perennial herb bed, um, which grows all the standard rosemary, thyme, sage, um, mint, what else is out there? They're the kind of core ones, but we also grow a few different things which are targeted at refugees and um, new migrants to Australia. So there's things like Vietnamese mint, chocolate mint. Um, we've got lots of chives as well. And little things that they can't buy in the shops, which they help in their cooking. 
And then outside of that, we just grow our annual crops. Predominantly, it's carrots. It's the number one thing we grow, and it's the number one thing that um, people ask for. They ask for the carrots because they're cross-cultural. Pretty much everyone eats them. Carrots also have a really good shelf life. So the big organisations, Coles, Woolies, don't tend to donate too many carrots because they tend to sell them and that sort of stuff. So that's one of our biggest ones. Um, we've got onions, silver beet. Uh, we've just put in broccoli, cauliflower. We'll be planting more of that next week. Uh, lettuce. Um, during the summer, it's zucchinis, eggplants, tomatoes, pumpkins, corn. Um, I think that's about it. Radish, beetroot, that's the other two. Yeah. Cool. I'd love to go and take a look and have a look around the farm and uh, have more of a chat. Yeah, awesome. Let's go for a wander. So um, our seeds and seedlings, everything that goes into the ground is all donated to us, um, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, Surprisingly, there's a couple of things that happen. So when you're in a big farm environment um, and you're going to your seed company, and you want to plant 3,000 acres of carrots, you want to make sure that that seed is very, very, um, it germinates properly. So the seed companies have to always test that germination rate. Once that hits a lower rate, they can no longer really sell the carrot seed, um, and it would normally go to the tip or they would set it on fire. So we actually are able to rescue that seed. We're not worried about the germination rate. We just overseed everything, um, and we've never had a problem ever. On the seedling front, uh, we get seedlings donated to us all year round. Um, organisations, once again, have to grow, say, 10,000 seedlings um, to give to Bunnings, but they might have to plant 11,000, 12,000 plants to make sure they fulfil that particular order um, and it goes through. And once again, a lot of that would just normally go in the tip um, and go to waste. So we're able to rescue that, plant that, um, and from that, feed people. Yeah. On a personal note, where do you find the energy? to be involved and to actually, because it's from my, from an external point of view, that takes energy and currency in some sort. Um, where do you find that from? Um, don't always have it. It's honestly, it's, um, it's a slog at times, but the energy comes on a Wednesday afternoon when that truck rolls out the door and it's full of food. And you just go, wow, okay, we've done something here. And we've actually made a contribution. Like it, that's what provides that energy and knowing that some family is going to have fresh food on their table um, that's what gets me going how much do you actually have under crop at the moment like how much land are we looking at here uh, i think it's roughly about two acres um, and we're able to produce about 30 to forty thousand meals a year off that particular land that's huge really um this is what your second season or third season now yeah this is yeah, I guess, yeah, if we're breaking it into the seasons, probably the third or fourth season and that sort of stuff. We're constantly planting, so it's there's never a week where we're not harvesting. Um, there's always something in the ground. Um, it's always carrots, always beetroot. They're the two things, and silver beet as well, because it travels very well, because we don't have any cool rooms on site. They're probably the three most popular. Okay. And how have you found the whole process of setting up a non-profit organisation and what have been some of the big challenges? Yeah, it's been an interesting process. Over the years, I've um, started and closed a few different businesses. We had a rather large commercial cleaning company in Australia that we shut down just before um, starting Food for Change. It's pretty much the same as running a business, to be honest. But what I've found is what we do really gets to people. Food is at the core of us. and that's the main difference is I don't have to really sell what we do. 
people get it. They understand people are hungry, you've got to eat and that sort of stuff. So when I have a conversation or someone's interested in donating or if they want to provide a grant or a sponsorship to help us sort of move forward, it is a relatively easy conversation. Whereas in the business world, you've got to push, 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 push and it can be a hard sort of slog. So um, that's kind of the main difference on that sort of thing. But as far as setting up, getting it going, it's exactly like any other small business owner that's ever started a business. It's the same process, it's the same hard slog, it's the same emotional things that happen in the background and it's no different at all. Now, I'm a big believer, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I'm going to ask you, is there anything you want to ask the audience that you'd like to see from them? Um, and is there, a, is there something you could benefit out of, out of that community? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the first one is support. Um, the more support we have, the better for our organisation. So jump over to our website, foodforchange.org.au. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just look up foodforchange.org.au again or flick us an email at info at and get behind us, come out and volunteer, spread the message. Um, the more people that know what we do, the better chance we have of um, success. On top of that, if you ever hear of grants or any um, organisation that's wanting to support us or an organisation like us, please put our names forward. Uh, we're looking at expanding the operations out here on the farm, so we're looking at getting a cool room, some new equipment so we can grow a lot more food for people and that's kind of our main focus in the next couple of months is raising funds for that. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for having us out here. Um, I'll be out here volunteering some time myself soon. Awesome. Thanks for um, yeah, putting me on the show. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. This episode of the Hungry Gardener podcast is brought to you by yourgrocer.com.au. Simply order online and enjoy same-day delivery right to your kitchen bench. You can choose from some of Melbourne's best independent butchers, bakers, grocers and coffee roasters and receive it all in one delivery. So skip the traffic, parking and queues and go to yourgrocer.com.au. Enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive two weeks free delivery and $20 off your first order. That's yourgrocer.com.au and remember to enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive your discount today. You've been listening to the Hungry Gardener podcast with me, Fabian Capamola. For information, or to be notified of the latest episodes, be sure to head to the website, thehungrygardener.com.au. We'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch and tell us your thoughts. It might be suggestions for future guests or topics you'd like to hear us discuss. Shout-outs to Ben Hodson from the Pearl Film Company for producing the show, Frank Alloy from Frank Alloy Design for the logo and the branding, and to Leiden for the intro music track. Thanks for listening.